Good morning. I'd like to welcome everyone to Sunday service at Ananda Village, those who are joining us on the internet as well. My name is Latika, and along with Nayaswami Devarshi, it's my joy to be able to be here with you this morning. I'm going to read from Rays of the One Light. These are weekly commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. This week's topic is, The Law is Perfected in Love. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 1, we read, The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Grace means the power to rise spiritually. Truth means the experience of divine realities, not the application in the outer world of that inner experience. Divine love is the soul's experience of oneness with God. Kindness is the human manifestation of that love. Grace is deeper than mere kindness. Wisdom is a divine experience Justice to all is a human law, though divinely inspired. It follows as consequence of the experience of wisdom. Truth goes deeper than mere justice. While following the law, we should strive always to trace it back to its origins in the vision of God. Therefore, Krishna in the Bhagavad Gita urges the devotee not to be satisfied with spiritual precepts alone, but to go beyond them to the direct inner experience of truth. In the 18th chapter of that great scripture, he says, Nay, but once more take my last word, my utmost meaning have. Precious thou art to me, right well beloved. Listen, I tell thee this for thy comfort. Give me thy heart, adore me, serve me, cling in faith and love and reverence to me. So shalt thou come to me. I promise true, for thou art sweet to me. And let go those rites and writ duties, fly to me alone. Make me thy single refuge. I will free thy soul from all its sins. Be of good cheer. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. I would also like to welcome everyone here today. This reading from Whispers from Eternity by Paramhansa Yogananda. O divine friend, though the darkness of my ignorance be as old as the world, still make me realize that with the dawn of thy light, the darkness will vanish as though it had never been. Well, happy Valentine's Day to everyone a day later. 
I don't know if it's a coincidence or not that Swami Kriyananda, when he came up with these subjects for these readings, the reading on divine love was on the same week as Valentine's Day. And I continue still all these years to be delighted that America celebrates so wonderfully a day dedicated to love because we have all these holidays for winning this war and overcoming that war of independence and we have Labor Day and so it's all about labor and defense and very practical things. And then we have this holiday for love and you would think the French, yeah, they could really get into something like that and the Italians, but Americans, it's just very pleasing to see. I only heard Swami Kriyananda talk about Valentine's Day once and he was he acknowledged that he was being irreverent and he was a little dismissive of it. He said that, yeah, like all holidays, that I think Americans can also descend into shallowness. And he said that if you only knew the infinity of divine love, you would realize how shallow the more sentimental, sappy love, which is all too often celebrated, really is. And so he wasn't saying to get rid of the human love in a way. He really, in a way, if you think about it, if God had created this universe and he had not created the more human or even animal forms of love, animals feeding their children and loving them and human love, if he had told us without that in a completely abstract way about divine love, we would have looked at him and said, what are you talking about? Love. We have no idea what that even is. And so human love and the love that we have for children, parents, spouse, everything, in a way, it's almost like a breadcrumb trail that God has given to us to lead us to divine love. And so in a way, it's a starting point. It definitely is not the ending point, but it is a very important starting point on how to expand our love, to teach us what love is, to challenge us in human relationships, to test us, to help us to expand and grow. And so if we follow that breadcrumb trail throughout life, throughout millions of incarnations, we eventually find the fullness of divine love. And that's what the reading is about today. So I'm going to tell a few stories. And for those who aren't used to the stories from Hinduism and from India, some of these are very, very strange to the Western mind. So just, you just have to bear with me and put some things on the shelf. Whether to the extent that some of these are literally true or not, <clears throat> They are divinely true because they teach very divine lessons. <clears throat> and these stories are all relating to Krishna, who this reading today in, in some ways is the, I think almost the most oft quoted passage from the Bhagavad Gita about worship me, adore me. And it's a really truly universal thought. I was, a few years ago, I had a strange experience. I was in Argentina doing some programs there for Ananda. And we went to this Catholic monastery uh, convent started by a Catholic priest who was considered a saint. And it was very interesting to see above the altar, there was a single eye with rays coming out of it, just like the spiritual eye. And when we went to the bookstore, they had a very charming uh, practice where in the bookstore, you could reach into a bowl that had all these different little sayings. And it was kind of like a fortune cookie kind of thing. You'd pick up a little piece of paper and I picked mine up. And in Spanish, it said, worship me, adore me, and you will come to me. It was almost the exact words. It wasn't quite exact, but it was the exact same thought, which is universal. God wants our love unconditionally, wholeheartedly, completely. 
and all the human loves that we are given in our lives are really lessons to help us go in that direction more and more. Now, God understands the compulsion and the attraction of human love, so there's an infinite amount of compassion and understanding. And this is the first and maybe the most strangest story I'm going to tell, which I heard Swami Kriyananda tell this once, and it's about Vishnu, who Krishna, as in the Bhagavad Gita, is an incarnation of Vishnu. And Vishnu was in walking through the creation. And this is partly what the Vishnu aspect of God sometimes it more enjoys and appreciates the divine creation. And Vishnu was doing that. And Vishnu saw a mother pig suckling its baby piglets. And it just, Vishnu was delighted and saw just the love that this mother pig was experiencing. And Vishnu wanted to experience that love. And he entered the body and the mind and became that mother pig. And it was overwhelming and beautiful and sweet to the point that those other devas and gods who were on the tour with Vishnu couldn't get him out of that mother pig. He was enjoying it so much. He was just, he was stuck in that body. And they finally had to get the other two great of the trinity of Hindu gods. They had to get Shiva and Brahma to come down and say, Vishnu, get out. You're so much more than this mother pig. And divine love is so much more than what you're experiencing. And eventually they had to kill the pig and get Vishnu out of there. But all this to say that God has complete understanding of how compelling human love is, even at times that it can be limiting. There's another story from the life life of Krishna and the Bhagavad Gita, which is a good lesson in a direction for all of us to go to, which is to try to take this love that we feel and try to make it more and more divine, expansive, and less human and less personal. And it's the story of his beloved devotee, Radha, who was his closest disciple. And they just had a beautiful divine relationship. And they were out walking Krishna and Radha in the forest one day. And Radha was getting tired as she was walking. And Krishna could, could read her thoughts and could sense that not only was she getting tired, but she was starting to have more of a human relationship to him rather than a divine one. And so just to test her, he said, okay, Radha, would you like me to carry you on my back because you're getting tired? And she was very, um, her ego was very flattered that the Lord of the universe would pick her up on his back and carry her. And she felt kind of special about that, as I think all of us would if that happened to us. (laughs) And she said, yes. And so he said, well, jump on my back. And she jumped on his back. And after she leapt, he vanished. And she went right on the ground like a sack of potatoes. And she woke up from this delusion right away. And she knew that God was teaching her a very loving and kind lesson. And Krishna re-manifested. And the way Swami Kriyananda puts it, they didn't have to say anything to each other about it. Radha smiled sweetly and just said, I understand. And Krishna didn't have to scold her because, of course, God understands. And so the goal of life is continually to take the love that we feel to make it more and more expansive, to make it more and more selfless. What is this word selfless? Selfless simply is as we serve selflessly, as we love selflessly, as we give selflessly, the little self starts to dissolve and disappear. And we don't kill the self. We 
offer it and dissolve it into the infinite self. And you'll see that people who we think of as selfless tend to be very, very happy people. Why? Because they are no longer thinking of the little self and they're no longer caught up in the ups and the downs and the pains and the sufferings of this little self. And in that, there is divine freedom, even immediately in that thought of serving others with complete selflessness, with devotion, with this expansive love that we're talking about. Even in that act, that process, that thought, there is a sense of freedom. With that sense of freedom comes divine joy or divine bliss. This is why Swami Kriyananda said that love is the first manifestation of bliss. And one of the reasons for this is that as we love, as we practice devotion, our hearts expand. We start to expand from this little self, become one with the infinite self. And in that expansion, we feel freedom, we feel bliss. Now, the other story is a longer one, and it's from the Mahabharata, the great epic that produced the Bhagavad Gita. And it's about a character, it's the, the backstory is very complex, as all these stories about incarnations and struggles can often be. So I can't get into all the details, but it's from the most, I think, tragic and sometimes sympathetic characters of the Mahabharata. His name was Karna, for those of you who know that story. And Karna was born as a child of half human and half God, half divine. And when he was born, he was orphaned. The mother put him into a basket and put him off into the river because she was too young to have a child at that time and couldn't care for it. And, and so he was orphaned. And that mother, later on, had the five Pandava brothers. So Karna was a brother, the eldest brother, which in this culture was very important. He was the eldest of the Pandava brothers. He was, in a sense, the sixth Pandava brother. And he was picked up by a very low-born couple who raised him lovingly. He was a couple, they were, he was a chariot driver, and which doesn't have a lot of prestige. And Karna, just like the five Pandavas, he was divinely born, noble-born, and he became a really, really great warrior in his life, one of the greatest on the earth. But he never knew who his parents were, and he never knew who his brothers were. And so in this epic of the Mahabharata, Karna, because he wasn't recognized, the bad guys in the story, the Kauravas, the uh, representing all the evil qualities in the, the, really the divine battle within, they saw that he was a great warrior and they brought him into their side by praising him, by giving him gifts and giving him a kingdom. And, and one of the qualities of Karna, and this is sort of the deep underlying psychological meaning of it, he was incredibly magnanimous and generous to a fault. And because the bad guys were loyal to him, he gave his loyalty to them, and he kind of got in with the wrong crowd because of that. And it was due to a fault that was actually a, a, a divine quality also. And part of this was all played out for our own education in the end. So in the end, I think these great souls like Karna knew what he was going through. He knew what was happening, and he was playing the role. And eventually, the war, the great battle of Kurukshetra happened, and he was fighting against his own brothers in that. And no one knew. He didn't know who he was. They didn't know who he was. Everyone recognized that he was a great divine being in certain ways, and he was an extraordinary warrior. And the, the gods understood that if they had this war, 
and he, Karna was not weakened, he would never be defeated. And so they took advantage of his generosity. And one of the gods, pretending to be a, a wandering mendicant, came to him and asked him for alms. And Karna, who gave generously and completely, no matter what was asked of him, this god, disguised as a, as a beggar, said, I want your armor and your earrings, which he was born with armor on his body that was invincible and with earrings. And they're actually part of his body. They were literally attached to the skin. With no hesitation in knowing what was going to happen, that it was his only defense, he tore off his armor, took off his earrings, gave it away. And he understood that this was part of the, the divine drama, I think. So the battle came. And even then, he was all, all but invincible. And his battle lasted for many days. And finally, his, one of his brothers, Arjuna, they had the big fight, man-on-man -man battle of the two greatest warriors of the age, not knowing they were brothers, which is partly why this story is so tragic in certain ways. But it has a good ending. Because what happened finally, Karna was defeated, and he was dying on the field of battle. And when this battlefield, this great battle epic happened, whenever any one of the great warriors from either side was about to die, all sides, all parties stopped fighting and they gathered around just to witness the transcendence of someone who had been a great warrior and had achieved victory over themselves, really. And this is how Karna achieved that victory. Krishna, who was Arjuna's charioteer and guide and, and wise counselor, he understood that Karna could not die until all of his good karma had been used up. And he had nothing left. His body was filled with arrows. He was dying. But Krishna understood that as long as he had spiritual merit and good karma, which he did, he also had a lot of bad karma for running with the wrong crowd for so long, like a lot of us do, I think. And so Krishna went up to Karna and disguised himself as a beggar, understanding that Karna was was generous to a fault. And I think Karna knew who Krishna was. I think he couldn't hide that from Karna. And so Krishna came as a beggar and asked for alms. And Karna said, I have nothing to give. And he didn't. He was the most generous person in the world. If he had anything to give, he would have given it. And Krishna looked at him and said, you do have something to give. He said, I want all of your spiritual good karma, all of your, your merit. And Karna, without any hesitation, smiled in blessing to Krishna and said, I give you all the spiritual merit that I've gained, all that I'm gaining, and all that I will gain in the future. And he gave that to the Lord. And this, the reading that we had today from the Gita is about giving everything to the Lord. And so he gave all of that to Krishna. That was the first test that Krishna was sort of asking Karna to pass. And the second test I'm not going to get into. It's even more brutal than the other two. And it's not for Valentine's Day. <laughs> but it was an extraordinary test. And when he passed that test, Krishna appeared to Karna in his infinite form. And those of you who know the Bhagavad Gita, he only appeared in his infinite form to one other person in that whole epic, and that was Arjuna, his greatest devotee of all. And so he blessed Karna for that generosity of spirit that was continuing. And then because of that generosity and that giving of all the spiritual good, imagine if someone came up to you and asked you, will you give me all of your spiritual good karma from the past, present, and future? 
that would be quite a challenge to test our generosity. So this is what Krishna was testing was how unconditional Karna's giving really was. And so Krishna blessed him. And as with many of these great epic stories, he told Karna, because of your generosity, I will grant you a boon. Whatever you ask of me, I will give. Now imagine if God came to us and said, whatever you want, I will give to you. And you just think about the things that you could or would ask for. And you know, I think worldly people might ask for something worldly, put ourselves in the, the shoes of Karna on that field of battle, and he was dying, and maybe he would ask for to be saved or to win the battle and to overcome the Pandavas and to win the war, which in these old stories, when someone was given a boon, literally whatever they asked for would be given. And so he would have been given that. Krishna would have given him those things if he would have asked for those things. And so in a way, this was a big test, even though it didn't look like a test. It looked more like a reward. And so Karna smiled very sweetly to the Lord. And he said, I asked just for one boon. He said, in my next life, I want in that life, just like this one, that whatever anyone asks of me, I will never deny them, and I will give them without hesitation. What a strange boon to request, because we think of a boon of what am I going to get. I want, and even spiritual people, I think we would ask for moksha, for liberation, for freedom, for, for whatever, thinking of what we are getting. But he, given a boon, only asked to be able to give unconditionally forevermore and always. And so at that point, the, the battle ended. Karna left the body. And Krishna later said that Karna didn't have to have a new lifetime. This was his liberation from all lifetimes because he had passed that final test of complete selfless giving, selfless generosity, and divine freedom, and complete selflessness. And this really is the way to divine freedom, is to take this human love of, which sometimes is, you know, petty, sometimes thinking of ourselves, sometimes thinking in a more intensely personal way, and to not deny that, but to use it as a breadcrumb trail, as a thread, to help us to become ever more selfless, ever more unconditional, ever more free. In Yogananda's poem, Samadhi, where he talks about these vast states of uh, divine freedom and union with God, he said that comes about through divine bhakti or divine devotion. He said that devotion in the end is what expands our hearts and helps us to understand that becoming godlike is not achieving and climbing some mountain and conquering even ourselves, although there is some part of that in this battle. It's really about overcoming the thought of self. And the way that we overcome that thought is simply by directing our devotion and energy more upward and divine rather than outward and personal. In the, this whole epic of the Bhagavad Gita and the Mahabharata, Paramahansa Yogananda said that all of the characters in that book were actually representing divine, or not divine, but human qualities, sometimes divine, sometimes worldly. And he said that Karna represented the quality of attachment. And I think as a, as a character of, a, of divine attachment, he probably also understood that that's what he represented. And he knew that the way out of attachment was to change the direction of that flow because the way Swami Kriyananda put it, he said that the way 
of freedom from attachment is generosity, expansion, and giving to God. And in that epic of the Mahabharata, Swamiji said that Karna, yes, he represented outward attachment, but because he was the divine brother of the divine Pandavas, he also represented divine aspiration and complete generous giving. And that's why he had those qualities kind of worrying in themselves. And as Swamiji pointed out that both of those qualities, attachment and divine selfless giving, in the heart center. In yoga, this is the heart chakra. And simply one of them, attachment is that energy flowing out into the world, into grasping, into attachment, into clinging in a more personal way. The other one, very simply, is just the reversal of that flow of energy, offering that same heart's energy inward and upwards to the divine. And this is the millions of incarnations long process that we go through. Karna represented the ultimate, sort of the grand finale of that process, which is something wonderful to look forward to. So on this Valentine's Day weekend, let's look at human love as just a stepping stone, something to help guide us. It's not the ultimate, it's not the, the end, it's going to be always imperfect. And I think God sort of makes it that way just to keep us partly on our toes, but also to kind of guide us to never settle for less never settle for less than the greatest, most infinite love. I'm going to close with a reading from Paramahansa Yogananda. And here he's talking about the way to divine love and the fruits of that love. Love gives without expecting anything in return. I never think of anyone in terms of what he can do for me and I never profess love to someone because he has done something for me. If I didn't actually feel love, I wouldn't pretend to give it. And since I feel it, I give it. Love cannot be had for the asking. It comes only as a gift from the heart of another. Be certain of your feeling before you say to anyone, I love you. Once you give your love, it must be forever. Not because you want to be near that person, but because you want perfection for that soul. To wish perfection for the loved one and to feel pure joy in thinking of that soul is divine love, and that is the love of true friendship. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. No.